Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 85, the Baron Davis episode, as B. Diddy wore number 85 not once, but twice during, during his NBA career with the Cavaliers in 2011 and with World B's Knicks in 2012. Before we get into our action-packed show, just a quick reminder, with NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, we'll start with you for our opening tip. All right, guys. Thanks, Ross and World B. Last Friday night in Chicago, the Bulls franchise inducted some of their most iconic players and the record-setting 1995-96 team into their inaugural Ring of Honor. But the occasion was marred by the behavior of some so-called fans who booed former general manager Jerry Krause, who died in 2017. Krause's widow, Thelma, was in attendance for the ceremony and was visibly upset when her, when her late husband was treated so poorly. It was a disgraceful performance from so-called fans who would probably have never celebrated a single championship, let alone six of them, without Krause's contributions. Much of the blame for their reaction can be traced directly to the sainted Michael Jordan, whose relentless abuse of Krauss, as depicted in The Last Dance, influenced many of the so-called fans to dislike and even hate Jerry Krauss. I covered the final three Bulls championships when I was at ESPN, and I can attest that Jerry Krauss could be both paranoid and unlikable. But he did a phenomenal job as general manager, and he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame shortly after his death. I'm sure many Bulls fans were also disgusted at the no-class display um, from, you know, the Chicago crowd who booed a dead man in front of his widow. And if Michael Jordan has any class at all, he would apologize to Thelma Krause for the behavior of the so-called fans who took their cues from him. There's almost no chance he'd do it publicly, but he should at least do it privately. I totally agree there, Bruce. And the first thing I thought of when I saw that outside of it just being awful was the last dance, of course. And uh, I think that's totally what fueled um, the mistreatment, especially of his widow. I mean, I I don't know why it needed to be like that with her, but uh, totally agree. I think Michael Jordan should be apologizing to her at the very least. And if not, you know, coming out publicly and and saying something along the lines of, hey, you know, we got to be better as Bulls fans because that was a shame to see. World B. Thank you, Ross. As we reach the midway point of the season, it's time to start looking at how the new rule regarding games missed could be on its way to impacting a lot of postseason awards, not to mention contract extensions. For those who need a reminder, last October, the NBA put in a rule that players will be ineligible for individual awards like MVP and all NBA selections if they do not play in at least 65 games. The rule was put in place as an effort to try and curb one of the worst phrases in today's NBA, load management. (laughs) And already there are some big-time players in danger of being left out of postseason awards of the postseason award mix. Joel Indeed, for example, the reigning MVP, and in the eyes of many, a frontrunner for this season's award, has already missed 10 games and can only afford to miss seven more or else he won't be eligible for another MVP, no matter how great he is. And the Pacers' Tyrese Halliburton, almost certain to be a first- or second-team All-NBA selection, has missed seven games this season, the last four because of a hamstring injury that looks like it will have him sidelined at least for a couple more weeks. Now, if he winds up ineligible for an All-NBA selection, it could cost him a Supermax extension for reaching an All-NBA team by your fourth season. These are just two examples of situations where the new rule could have a major impact on their future awards and or earnings. And believe me, as we get closer to the all-star break, this will be a significant discussion point for the commissioner to deal with. So stay tuned. 
Interesting issue there, World B, and I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't even thought about uh, Tyrese Halliburton, how that could affect him. So uh, great to, to obviously continue to track that. I know the one that really stood out is before the calendar even flipped to the year 2024, Brad Beal was already ineligible for any type of awards this season, uh, already having missed that 17-game mark. As for my opening tip, I just want to take a moment to be sure we're all aware and appreciative of these past few days in the NBA. On Monday, the NBA continued its longstanding tradition of using the game of basketball to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And while the Christmas Day games are special, the messages and reflections on Dr. King, along with the warm-up shirts that are seen throughout the league's huge slate of games, are a big reason why MLK Day is undoubtedly my favorite day of the NBA regular season. And to have Monday's holiday followed up with the matchups we have going on here as of taping on Tuesday night, it's just incredible. There's only three games as of uh, Tuesday night, but boy, are they great ones. We've got the two most recent MVPs scoring off in Philly with the Joker and Embiid. A fun run-and-gun matchup between the Sacramento Kings and Suns in Phoenix. And SGA looks to remind the Clippers what they lost by trading him as he looks to lead the Thunder to victory tonight on a second night of a back-to-back uh, in Los Angeles. So as you listen in to 48 minutes here, I just hope you haven't taken the past 48 hours for granted. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get right into our first quarter here. And uh, the Utah Jazz are on absolute fire right now. They're currently riding a six-game winning streak and now find themselves two games over 500, which is good for the ninth spot in the West. And uh, they look like uh, they're really starting to to click there. Wouldn't you say, World B? Absolutely. I mean, this is the second year in a row we've basically counted them out and they've come back to surprise us. Last year at this point, they were actually, we thought they were one of the surprises of the league. They were two games under 500 at that point at, at this uh, same stage. Yeah, they, since uh, middle of December, since December 13th, best record in the NBA, 15 and 15 and four. And, you know, they've beaten some of the league's uh, bottom feeders. They beat Detroit. They beat the Spurs. They beat the Blazers. But they also have wins over the Nuggets, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Heat. I mean, these are quality wins over, you know, that you wouldn't expect about a month ago. Uh, you know, th- their offense is absolutely uh, clicking. The, you want to look at why they were struggling before. I think they were like something like 7 and 13 or 7 and 16 before this run. I mean, they're, they're the sixth-best offense in the league at, at uh, just about 121 points per 100 possessions. Before this run, they were in the bottom five in, in offense. So they've really turned it around. And, you know, my man that I liked last year, Laurie Markkinen, is is having an even better season this season, which a lot of people probably didn't think was possible the way he turned his career around. But he's having an even better shooting season this season. So he's really – uh. One note I'll give you about him, he's top five in the NBA in field goal percentage among players with at least 500 shots. And the guys who are ahead of him, Sabonis, Giannis, Joker, Halliburton, these are the elite of the NBA. So he's he's making a name for himself as one of the elites beyond just making an all-star team. He's becoming an elite player in this league that we all thought when he was uh, back with Chicago. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's some good company there in that that five that you listed. Bruce, what are you seeing out in Salt Lake? Well, you know, last year when when they traded Donovan Mitchell to uh, Cleveland, um, you know, they got a lot back. But you know, one, you know, we know about marketing. I mean, you know, he's been you know great. But how about um, um, Colin Sexton? Colin yeah. Sexton has become an absolute bucket. I mean, he's been averaging more than 19 a game during this 12 and two run that they've had. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's always been, you know, quick, but he's really kind of coming into his own. And he's now in the starting lineup. When Jordan Clarkson was out for a while, he kind of moved out of the starting lineup. He's now coming off the bench, but he's been amazing off the bench. I mean, you know, just, you know, averaging almost 20 a game during this streak. So, uh they're not a team that wows you with their stats. I mean, they're kind of middle of the pack on in, in you know, they're below average on defense. I think World B said they're sixth in offense. Uh, but they're a very good rebounding team, uh, third in total reboundings, and uh, number two in rebounding differential, which means that, you know, when they when they finish those defensive possessions, they're controlling the boards. Um, 
they also make their free throws. I mean, you know, 82.4% as a team, uh, that's third best in the league. Uh, you got to give Danny Ainge a lot of credit. I mean, look, he's got quality bigs coming off the bench with Kelly Olynyk and Walker Kessler. I mean, Walker Kessler's third in the NBA in block shots, 2.6 a game off the bench. I mean, yeah, nobody crazy. else at, in that upper echelon of block shots is a reserve. So, you know, they they just, you know, Dan, look, look what Danny Ainge did to build the Celtics. That what they what they are right now is mostly his doing. I mean, Brad Stevens has tweaked it a bit. But Danny Ainge obviously drafted the two Jays and, you know, had drafted some of the other assets that they traded to get like Porzingis and some, you know, um, et cetera. So Danny Ainge is a legendary executive. He does nothing but improve teams that he takes over. Totally agree with you there. And I think kind of looking at this winning streak and as you alluded to, Bruce, the 12 and two record. Uh, that they have going on right now. I think the biggest factor on this team's recent for this team's recent success is finally being fully healthy. You you look at their uh, injury report; it's now clean, uh, and uh, that's allowed their head coach Will Hardy, uh, a young up and coming rising star in the coaching level, to really fine tune his rotations. And when you take a look at this roster, as you said, Bruce, you know it's not a sexy roster by any means, but you know these. They don't have any big name talents, but what they do have is a bunch of skilled contributors. And that allows Coach Hardy to adjust to the matchups, keep guys fresh, and be sure fatigue isn't settling in for his five guys that, that are out there on the floor. There's interchangeable pieces. Um, I think that's something that we've also you know, given praise to in Houston with uh, Ime Udoka's team, too. And uh, I saw that having watched the... Uh, Lakers lost to Utah in Utah just this past week. I mean, the Lakers run out, you know, five, six, seven guys, but they were going like 10 deep off their bench in Utah and all these guys can play. I mean, Chris Dunn, I mean, he's just a good defender. So they use him for defensive situations when they need scoring, they'll go to the bench to Clarkson. They just have all these inter inter interchangeable tools and, uh, Will Hardy's getting the most out of his group right now, and it seems like this is a group that's buying into one another. So they've been a lot of fun to watch play. But real quickly here, Bruce, I do have a question for the both of you, but I'll start with you being our Celtics extraordinaire. When it comes to Danny Ainge and them winning all these games, now two games over 500, do you think there's a little side of him that's a little concerned they're winning too much too early? I don't know. I mean, look, they're currently number nine in the West. They're a they're ahead of the Lakers. They're ahead of the Warriors. I mean, those teams, you know, are trending downwards. The Jazz are trending upwards. I think, you know, with some of the young guys that he has, uh, and I mean, look, we didn't even mention John Collins. You know, he kind of wore out his welcome in Atlanta. He's given them good minutes, you know, uh, this year. Um, and he's still a fairly young guy. So I think Danny Ainge is probably feeling pretty good about things right now. I mean, because, look, they're an – awesome home team. I mean, look, they're 15 and five at home. Okay. And as you guys both know, that is a tough place to get a road win because yes. like Denver, I mean, it's an altitude environment. So guys get tired. Plus they've got the nastiest, meanest fans that intimidate players. I mean, obviously some of them step over the line, but it's no fun going into Utah to try and get a win. So I would say, I, I think Danny wants to make the playoffs. And I think he wants to finish ahead of the Lakers and ahead of the Warriors. Um, uh, just my opinion. I mean, you know, I don't, he's, he's never really been a tanker, you know, he's always just tried to be smart about what he did. Yeah. Will B, do you agree with Bruce's assessment there on Ainge or do you think he's looking for oh, yeah. some more draft capital? No, I think, I think he's, he's happy with the progression. You want to see your franchise progress and they, obviously surprised like I mentioned last season and they weren't you know they weren't they were expected to be at the bottom and uh they surprised by being in the playoff hunt for a long time you know before this run I think it was December 11th after they uh their games on December 11th they were as close to last place they were in 12th place they were as close to the bottom of the league, of the conference as they were to the 11th place at that time the Warriors they were three and a half behind the Warriors, three and a half from being in last. Now they've passed the, the Warriors with ease, and now they've passed the Lakers with ease. So they've really – this run has really been impressive. Uh, if I'm – I can't imagine at this point why Danny Age wouldn't want to see this going. They're only going to get – as you mentioned, they're not a star-laden team. You really need 
stars to make a, a serious impact in this league. So this is the next one of the steps that they're taking to get to that level. You get a successful franchise, you get some draft capital, you get some cap space. Now you get maybe players who want to be there when the time comes and you have the money to do it. And so this is all part of it. You you want a successful franchise. You want a franchise that's showing that it's ready, it's building, and it's ready to take the next step. And you get that free agent, that star, whoever it may be, that can take you to that contention level. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see what kind of star they can get in Salt Lake City. I think it's going to have to take a unique talent. Oh, it won't but be easy. It, <laughs> it, it, won't. It, can, it can totally be done, though. I mean, I think there's certain stars out there that could – totally buy into that especially if they have a core around them um, already set in stone it's not going to be a uh, guessing game of who else might join me here in Utah I mean if they already developed some of these younger players as you both uh, supported there I think certainly you know who wouldn't want to play against uh, you know a, next to a guy like Laurie Markkinen I think he would be a stellar second or third option on a, a really good team and uh, should be fun to see where they go from here but Money as we get into What's that? Money, money talks too. Yeah, you have cap of space, and you know you yep. may not be your. It may not be your preferred destination, but you know on the first and the fifteenth, it would be to live out there. Yeah, yeah you know one of the things about Utah, you know, people talk about it not being a great free agent destination, and you know we understand that that's mostly true. But one thing about Utah, it's always been a very attractive place to play for international players. Believe it or not. Ooh. That's always that's always been a place. You know, if you go back, you know, back to the days of like, you know, Mehmet Okor and, you know, some of the other guys, you know, that were there, you know, Andre Kirilenko. I mean, yep. it's all they've always had good, you, go you know, inter, yeah, exactly. International players have always seemed to be have have a better feeling about Utah than a lot of the American born guys. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll have to keep an eye on those guys as well. As we get to our second quarter here, as we continue to keep our focus on the West, let's take a let's have a quick fun debate here who we think the best team in the West is. I know that, of course, off air, we kind of picked our four teams to discuss, and I think most of our listeners would probably agree with our top four. But, uh, Bruce, I'll start with you. What's the first team you would like to, to address here when considering the best team in the West? All right, well... Going into the season, obviously, the defending champions in Denver were expected to rule the West coming off their championship. They busted out of the gate at 9-2, and two, but then they hit a little bit of a rough stretch, losing 7-12. and 12, But they've won 14 of 18 since December 8th, and they're tied with OKC, just one game behind uh, Minnesota. Uh, so those three teams, along with the Clippers, look like the top four that we're going to kind of discuss. So let me start first by making the case for Minnesota. And then if you guys want to follow on Minnesota, feel free. Okay. The Wolves have a dynamic alpha scorer in Anthony Edwards. They've been an excellent defensive team all season. They give up the fewest points per game in the league and are more than three points better than the next best team, which is a really wide margin between one and two. Uh, they're number one in lowest field goal, lowest opponents field goal percentage. They have three outstanding bigs in Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, and my guy, Naz Reed, plus a veteran point guard and Mike Conley, who almost never turns the ball over, has a six-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. So Minnesota, to me, defense travels, they have good bigs, and they got a dynamic scorer. So they could be the best team in the West. World B, what do you have on the Wolves? Uh, well, I agree with uh, what Bruce is saying. The, the- they not only have a, the best defense in the league right now, it's by a healthy margin too. They're, they're, you know, the Celtics are the next best defense. You know, if you look at the numbers, but they don't match up with uh, Minnesota numbers wise. Um, you know, they already have wins over Denver, LA, the Clippers and the uh, Thunder. So they have that going for them. Uh, their offense is a little below, you know, if you're looking at it from the, the, the uh, cons of, of this, uh, they do their average offensively, uh, actually below average. If you want to look at it, their twentieth in efficiency on offense. They have good shooters, but they're a sloppy team. They turn you know, Mike Conley aside, they're twenty eighth in turnover percentage. It's just not going to get it done. Wasted possessions in the postseason, just not going to get it done when the game slows down. So they do have things that going against them. But yeah, the best defense in the league by far. For me, I think the biggest qu- the question mark is if they're ready. And it kind of goes back to what you just 
uh, we're talking about will be about their offense. I'm falling short in believing in this team. I think they lack that scoring punch off their bench. I mean, their starting five needs to be too heavily relied upon to carry the load. Outside of Nas Reed, he's really their only spark that kind of gets, you know, has the starters back if they're struggling. And I think that's going to come and hurt them come playoff time. Shake Milton has not been the signing that they thought he might be coming over from Philadelphia. That's hurt. And there's really no one else on the uh, on the bench for them to turn to for scoring. So that's something maybe at the deadline that they'll address. Will be yeah. One one real th- one quick thing here about them. They've been very. They've been probably the most consistent team in the Western Conference, if not the league this season. In that they've only lost their longest losing streak is two, and it's happened once at the beginning of the first two games of of this year. So they don't really. You know, they may suffer a bad loss. They went to New York. At Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago, got you know pretty much handed to them, but it doesn't impact. It doesn't set them on a downward spiral. They come back like you're supposed to do when you're a pro and turn you know get that out of your system and get on to the next game. They've done that as well as anybody. Yeah, they certainly have. So um, right back to you, World B. I'm going to let you pick the second team you'd like to discuss as one of the best in the West. Uh, well, one of my teams that you know we all like, and uh, one of the teams I I love to discuss that I talked about at the beginning of the season is the uh, L.A. Clippers, uh, yep. because I was one of the few that thought the trade for Harden at the time we had on our show that was a wasn't the worst move of all time. Um, it didn't look good right off the bat, zero and five to start, but you know since they went zero and five with Harden since that point, they're tied with the Celtics for the best record in the league, twenty three and. Wow. 23 uh, 22 and 7 excuse me and you know they're top 5 over that stretch they're top 5 in offensive efficiency they're top 5 in effective field goal percentage uh when they get you know the biggest question we always have with the clippers can they keep Paul George and Kawhi healthy well they've been healthy for most of the season and when they're on the court together they're outscoring teams by 14 points per 100 possessions that's a really impressive number and what we all expect from this team when they have those guys healthy. So you know, they're right there in the mix at this point. All right. Okay. Well, uh, my case in favor of the Clippers is that the Harden experiment is working so far. He gives the Clips a legit big three along with Kawhi and Paul George, of course. He leads the team in assists with 8.4 while scoring 17 a game on just 11 field goal attempts which is, you know, way below what we're used to seeing out of him over the years. His efficiency is shutting critics like myself down, okay? Uh, I have to admit, I'm not going to say I'm ready to anoint them as NBA champion, but he has far exceeded what I expected his impact to be. Um, And so far, the health has been good. I mean, PG and Kawhi have missed just six games between them. They do a very nice job controlling the pace, which is good for an older team. They're not running up and down the court. They're playing more of a, you know, half-court type sets for the most part, which helps them, I think, with energy towards the end of games. That's smart team, smart coaching by Ty Lu. Um, And look, Avika Zubats gets absolutely no shine for what he does. That dude is a really key guy on that team. He seems like he's been around forever. Uh, but he's like 26 years old, okay? He's a legit seven-footer. He averages 12 and nearly 10. He doesn't do things he can't do. He mostly cleans up junk for his field goal attempts, 65% from the floor, Um, and he's a presence in the paint. Ty Lue is an excellent coach, and World B, uh, I have to hand it to you. You were certainly far more correct about them, at least so far, than I was. So far. It's a a long season. But that, but and that's kind of my point. It's like I yeah. let it let it continue, and you know we'll see how far they can take it. Yeah. Well, well, Bruce, I was more so in your camp too. I definitely had my question marks with this team, and uh, I'm glad you brought up Zubak because he is huge to that nucleus and their success. At, as of our taping here Tuesday night, they're actually going to have to play the game against Oklahoma City without him. So we should see how that might factor into that tonight's matchup. Um, and whether or not Mason Plumley can really step up, who just came back from injury himself. But uh, as for the Clippers, obviously, when I'm trying to stack them up against the best in the West, the best in the West has to be the the reigning champions, or at least what you what you look at as like one of the best, having that they've proven it before. So the Clippers, they've got the best names. 
They got the biggest and best names in the West. They have the playoff experience amongst them. But the ginormous difference between a team like the Clippers and the Nuggets is that they haven't done it together. Now, the, the Nuggets have done that. The Clippers are still trying to figure that out. That's only going to become even more and more pressurized as the season moves on. We get into playoff series. So I know plenty of people will buy into this team come playoff time, but count me out as one of them. I just think all it takes is one curveball in a series, one bad pass, one questionable shot, and you could see this locker room explode, if you ask me. One quick thing about the uh, about the Clippers. We were just talking about Zubak or whatever. It was announced today, just a, just a little while ago. He's actually going to be out for the next four weeks with a calf strain. Oh. So he's going to be he won't be reevaluated for for a month. It was wow. announced. So you know, it's we'll see how that impacts him because, as you mentioned, they really don't have a whole lot in the bigs department outside of him, and he has been an unsung thing. One one note, not to make it my make it sound so rosy on the Clippers side on my end. You know, they haven't really done the job against these other teams that we're discussing. They're only three and four. Uh, I'm sorry, one and four against these other three teams this season. So they really, while I like them and I think they have a shot, they got to beat some of these teams if you want to get to where you want to get. Yep. And I'll go next here, and I'm going to focus in on one of the youngest and most flexible teams out in the West, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who uh, – uh, obviously are playing the Los Angeles Clippers tonight. Should be a fun matchup later on. But the biggest question I have for OKC is, do they stand pat with the current roster or do they make a splash before the deadline? Obviously, we asked BJ Armstrong last week, uh, who was our guest, about that. He thinks they should continue to develop the core that they have and not throw too much of a wrench into things. But uh, if you ask me, I think they're one Jared Allen or even Isaiah Stewart away from taking the cake from – uh, the Western Conference. I think if they added just one banger, one more big down low to help Chet and, and kind of assist him down there, they'd be in a much better spot. And uh, I mean, when you got the play of SGA leading the group, you've got J Dub and Chet and uh, Josh Giddy. I mean, I was watching that game last night against the Los Angeles Lakers, the uh, finale of the MLK Day slate. And uh, they did come up short, but. Uh, I mean, they can compete with anyone. It's quite incredible with just their young age how good this team already is. Bruce, what's your thoughts on the Thunder? Well, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a legitimate MVP candidate. I mean, look, no other way to say it. He's averaging yeah. over 31 a game. Uh, and as you mentioned, Holmgren, he's if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year, he probably won't finish worse than second. It's going to either be him or, or Wemby in San Antonio. Um, they... They play at a much faster pace than Minnesota. So you don't recognize them as a really good defensive team because they give up more field goal attempts, more points, et cetera, et cetera. But they're number two behind the Wolves in opponents' field goal percentage, which, as we've said countless times on this show, is probably the key defensive stat. So, yes, there's more possessions, so they give up more points. But teams don't shoot a high percentage against them. Uh, they make their free throws. They're almost 84% as a team. And I know I mentioned that with Utah, but it's so important when you're playing close games and playoff games generally tend to be close games. You need to make your free throws. If, if you know, a team that shoots 84% from the line versus a team that shoots 77% from the line, that's the difference between winning and losing in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, they've also actually had very good health this season. They've had their same starting lineup in 36 of their 39 games. And again, that's a young team, young and healthy. We'll see if it can continue. When we get around to the discussion at the end of the segment about who's going to win it all, I'll have a something interesting, I hope, to say about that. Oh, all right. Can't <laughs> wait. World B. Yeah, they're uh, you know, they're they're a team that has been improving offense. There's three teams in this league that are top five offensively and defensively in efficiency: the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Thunder. I mean, that's, a, that's an impressive list to be on. That means you're a contender. Just like Bruce said, they are absolutely positively a contender, not in the West, just in the West, but in the NBA as well. Uh, you know, they're, they've been getting better each month offensively. And this month, so far, two weeks in, they're the number one offense in both efficiency and shooting. So you can't do much better than that. You're absolutely right, Ross. They need another big to bang in there. They're the, one of the worst rebounding teams in the league offensively. 
defensively and overall. They're in the bottom three in all three percentages, rebounding percentages. So they absolutely need a banger to get boards to help them out. But, yeah, but how much fun is this this team between SGA and Chet Holmgren, who's lived up to billing? I mean, uh, SGA gets points in the paint. He's one of three or four in the league in points per game in the paint, along with Zion, along with Giannis, along with uh, 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 Anthony Davis, along with uh, Joker, all these bigs, all these huge guys, and he's in there with them in the top five. He's third or fourth. So it's really an impressive team, maybe the most impressive team out west. I remember another guard who was the leader of the league in points in the paint, and his team was really good for a really long time. You probably remember him. Tony Parker. Yeah, not bad. Bruce, I think we left out one team in the West. Do you remember? Can you help my recollection here? The defending champions? From oh, Denver? yeah. That, that's right. <laughs> who who have the guy that last week B.J. Armstrong called an unfair advantage, meaning Nikola yeah. Jokic, you know. Uh, unbelievably consistent star. Averaging nearly a triple-double, 25.5, 11.8, 9.3. Durable, has missed just one game. He's got 12 triple-doubles in 40 games. We haven't talked a lot about his triple-doubles this year. No. 12 triple-doubles in 40 games. That's, I don't know the percentage. World B, you could probably do that one off the top of your head, but it's, I was told there'd be no math on this show today. (laughs) It's more than a quarter of their games. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, You know, Jamal Murray Murray missed a bunch of games, uh, you know, between November 5th and the 28th, and that's when they kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, but since his return uh, shortly after Thanksgiving, they're 16 and 7. He averages 20. He's second in assists behind Joker. His presence makes them whole. Okay. Uh, this team shares the ball really well. They're number two in the league in assists, almost 30 a game. So they're they're moving the ball for easy shots and getting you know great buckets. They're number six in point differential. As we've said a million times, they're really tough to beat at home. Uh, and they are over 500 on the road. So I think when we reach the end of the regular season, it's probably going to be Denver sitting on top of the West, but uh, they've got some competition. Yeah, will be. What's your thoughts? Uh, it's hard to go against Denver. I mean, if you were looking at it right now, we've talked about these other teams. If you were really going to put your money on somebody right now, how could you put it on anybody other than Denver? The way they their starting five is, probably the best in the league, if you want to be honest about it. I mean, they, they're they the most consistent. They're, it's the starting lap you would depend on the most here because of the experience and the success. Uh, their defense is better than it was last year. That was going to be their downfall heading into the playoffs. That was the uh, bugaboo with this team. Can they get it done defensively? They clearly did in the postseason. And they're playing better defensively now. And Joker is on a tear this month, unlike we've probably never seen from him. He's Effective field goal percentage is almost 80%. And that's because he's shooting over 80% in the paint. Mm. That's unheard of for a guy like that with his shot. He's not, he hasn't taken 10 shots in the paint and made eight of them this month. He's probably tripled that. I mean, he's just, he's not missing in the paint. It's unbelievable. Um, they're only three and four against the other three teams that we discussed. They do give up some points in the middle. They're, you know, Joker's great, but. You really get nitpicky when you start to look at the cons of this team because they've been so consistently good, and their starting five is so really together and really, really good. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Aaron Gordon, who's having a really good run right now. He's shooting over 50% from the field. A lot of it's in the paint as well. But he, he's not having his great shooting season uh, from outside the paint, but he's still getting his points, and he's still overall having a really good season. He really is. And uh, when I think of this team in one sentence, I just think of them as an absolute steady system around the Joker. They're a safe pick as the reigning champs that have proven themselves, but they've also proven throughout this season that they can compete with just about whoever they want to with whoever they have available on their roster. I mean, they, they've made some good games uh, against some of the top teams out West without Jamal Murray. They didn't win all of those, but they were right there on the cusp. So when he is available, I mean, that's one of the more unstoppable duos in the NBA. Jamal Murray and the Joker in pick and rolls are one of the toughest uh, pairings to stop for a defense. Um, they, they continue to show that here as they continue to uh, rise out west. And uh, 
it, it's hard for me to go against the champs. I'll Bruce, I know you've been waiting to to give your verdict here for best out west. So I'll let you start us off, but I'm just gonna okay. let you know it's hard for me to go against Denver. All right. Minnesota's biggest liability in the postseason is a lack of playoff experience as a group. Oklahoma City's biggest liability in the postseason is youth and lack of playoff experience. The Clippers, well, their biggest liability in the postseason might be the age of their big three and the fact that they've been injury prone in recent years. Uh, Denver doesn't have a liability, all right? Their biggest liability in the postseason is none. They should come out of the West. World B? I would have a hard time, like I just said, if you had, if I had to put money on one of the four, why would I put it on anybody other than Denver? However, I still think the Clippers have an excellent chance because of their lineup if they all stay healthy. Now, as I say that, you know, Zubak is out for four weeks, so we'll see in a month what it looks like for them. Um, that being said, it's really – by the way, we haven't even mentioned Paul George is on his way to being player of the month, if not, if not Joker, then Paul George in the Western Conference. He's having an unbelievable month right now at two weeks in. But I would uh, – for a uh, long shot or not a long shot, for best value, I might go with the Clippers out of the West. All right. Looks like you're trusting playoff James Harden. Bold move there will be. <laughs> uh, just more in uh, Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Uh, then I then I will uh, in the others. Yeah. Ty well, is a great choice too. Well, I'll keep my verdict short here. I've got the Denver Nuggets. They're the one team without any question marks, as uh, Bruce stated there, and they've already answered all the questions that I had for them, and they just continue to prove it again this season. Um, so I think that's the safe play, the safe bet. But uh, I'm glad World B went out on a limb and uh, is, is staying true to the Clippers there. So uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. Let's talk about some key returns to the hardwood. And uh, let's start off with first and foremost, Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP. After, after having played just two of the Sixers' last nine games, uh, Embiid returned to the Sixers' lineup on Monday against the Rockets, and it looked like he didn't skip a beat. He scored 41 points in 31 minutes to go along with 10 boards. That's definitely going to be huge for them. Um, I have not checked up on tonight's score against the Nuggets, but uh, just overall, Bruce, being a Celtics guy, are you concerned that uh, the Sixers are coming for that top spot out east? No. Uh, I'm actually okay. not. Um, when Joel Embiid's in the lineup, the Sixers are 22 and six. When he's out, they're just three and seven. As World B mentioned earlier in the show, it's gonna—he's really gonna have to play almost every game in order to qualify for the postseason All NBA teams and the MVP. But he's on record as saying he's done that. He's less interested in that than in being healthy for the postseason. So I would say, as long as Nick Nurse is cognizant of that, manages his minutes. Look, they're still as long as they keep him healthy, he can have some nights off. He's probably not going to get to 65 games. So, you know, once they kind of clear that from their agenda, um, just keep him healthy so that when we get to mid-April, uh, he's there. Because in the playoffs, without Joel Embiid, they have no shot. <laughs> Will be. Yeah, he's uh, he's looking like I as I mentioned before, he Right now, if you're looking at odds on favorite, he'd be the choice for MVP in my book right now. He's he might be having a better year than last year. It's it's ridiculous. His usage rate, which is the percentage of what a player does when he has the ball, either passes it for an assist or shoots it or goes to the free throw line, that thing is at 38%. He leads a league by a wide margin uh in that rate, which is you know more than it was last year. So yeah, they he's the not only one of the best players, if not the best player in the league, he's certainly arguably the most valuable player in terms of what he means to his team. When he's on the court, they outscore opponents by 13 points per hundred possessions. That's, that's as good as it gets. I mean, they don't just win the games when he's on there. They dominate, which is why, as I mentioned before, they're top five in offensive and defensive efficiency. He's that important to that team. Yep. And I'm going right back to you, World B. No breaks tonight on the podcast for you. Your guy is back in Buzz City, LaMelo Ball. Start us off. Well, it's uh, he, It's really 
it was very quiet return because the uh, <laughs> the Hornets are just in a, a train wreck of a franchise right now and, and having a just a horrible season. It's very disappointing. They're they're once a week they're competitive. That's just the way it is. It's really bad news for them. Um, you know, the first two games he came back, they lost both by a combined fifty three points. It's like he never left. It's uh, it, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter who goes in there. It's just uh, trouble. He you know he goes fifteen for sixteen one night against the Spurs, and then the next night they play Miami. He doesn't get to the line at all. So it's it's a very quiet return because the Hornets are just they're battling with the with the Pistons once again for you know bottom feeder to leave. Sounds like a little glimmer of hope there. Anything to, to add there, uh, Bruce on. Lamelo Ball's return. Well, when he plays, they're four and ten. When he doesn't play, they're four and nineteen. So they're definitely better <laughs> when he plays. Okay, uh, but how do you lose by thirty-six to the Spurs? They lost by thirty-six to the Spurs. Okay, yeah. it's a dumpster fire. Even if this team is healthy, they got twenty-two and sixty written all over them. They it's a shame do. because I like Lamelo is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. He really is. I he. He's just uh, in anonymity out there because it's a blah franchise right now. Well, to keep things moving here, I'll be real quick on ball. Obviously, he brings a lot of scoring to this team. He is their creator, and he's creating a lot of that uh, with steals right now. He's turning a lot of defense into offense. He's got eight steals through just the first two games he's been back playing. So hopefully he can keep that up and uh, get this uh, Hornets team back on the right track. Now, next guy we have is Heat Culture. Jimmy Butler is back in the swing of things. And one thing's for certain, there's no minutes restriction in Jimmy's vocabulary as he played 40 minutes on Monday, scoring 31 on 8 of 12 shooting. And with rookie sensation out, Jaime Jaquez Jr., uh, he's out due to injury. Jimmy's return could come at no better time for this franchise. Bruce, what's your thoughts on uh, Jimmy Butler back in the swing of things in Miami? You know, it's interesting. He's missed 15 of the team's 40 games, okay? They're 15 and 10 when he plays. They're 9 and 6 when he doesn't play. That is the exact same winning percentage when they have him, when they don't have him. Now, that said, Bam Adebayo is the Heat's best player, in my opinion. Tyler Hero is their leading scorer. But Jimmy Butler is the emotional engine of that team. I mean, yeah. and, and playoff Jimmy shines the most. Uh, he, he, he's gone on record as saying he doesn't even really pay much attention to the regular season until after the all-star break, he's gearing up for the postseason. So, um, he gets all kinds of respect from the refs. He goes to the line more than anybody in the playoffs and, you know, and he makes his free throws. It's like an 89% free throw shooter. Okay. So when he gets, when he goes to the line, he's making them. So, um, if playoff Jimmy shows up the way he always does, uh, the heat could go very far in the postseason because that culture thing is is not a lie. Nope. Will be. Yeah, I agree with Bruce. I mean, it's it's absolutely when you go nine and six without without a player at the statue of Jimmy Butler, you you have a good thing going as a franchise. Um I really think they or Jimmy Butler, excuse me, loves the idea. He doesn't care about the awards. He doesn't care about the regular season necessarily. He loves to be able to point Giannis to the golf course and tell Jason Tatum to buy a ticket to the finals. I think he loves the fact that at the end of the day, last year, I was the one from the East on top of all you all-stars and MVP candidates. It was me that, that was uh, on top. I think, you know, he's, that's what he hears himself up, up for. And it was good reason too. Yep. And now for the next player, stop me. If you've heard this before, Draymond Re Draymond Green returned to the Warriors lineup and they lost. All right. Green put up a 7-7 and 4 stat line in 23 minutes. But at this point, I got to ask you the question here, Bruce. Are they just a better are they just better off without him? It's hard to say that they're better off without him, but the numbers sort of say they their records better without him. Uh they're 7 and 9 when he plays, they're 11 and 13 when he doesn't. Okay, under 500 in both cases. But Look, this is an aging team, and he's one of the guys who's not aging that well. Um, only Stephen Curry is playing, you know, consistently excellent ball on a nightly basis. 
Clay's up and down. Wiggins has been up and down. Draymond, and when he's not suspended, has been mostly down. Um, but they're 12th in the West right now, okay? They're not only out of the playoffs. They're out of the play-in at this yeah. point, okay? Um, and if they don't have a real strong closing kick in the second half of the season, I could see the Warriors listening to offers for him after the season. I think he can still be a useful guy on a contending team, okay? But I don't think his current team is really that team. And I think with his suspensions and his antics, I said a couple of weeks ago, I think this they won't trade him during the regular season. But I think once the season's over, I could easily see him moving on. Um, I think his days in the Bay Area are numbered. Will be? He just hasn't been an impactful defensive player. I mean, it's the whole season that the Warriors have had is not uh, – is not because of Draymond, but he hasn't helped. I mean, they're they're the same defensively in terms of efficiency. They're the exact same when he's on the court, giving up 117 points per hundred possessions as he was when he's off the court. Same exact uh, efficiency rating. So he's having zero impact on this team. And by the way, the Warriors is just a terrible defensive team. Period. They're the worst in the league this month. They're just getting blown away on defense. They're giving up 100, almost 128 points per 100 possessions this month. You can't win that way, obviously. Nobody can, not even with Steph Curry or whatever. So Draymond's he's not the root of their problems, but he's absolutely not the solution either. Yeah, no doubt about that. And the last guy I want to touch on here real quickly is Brad Beal. Because if uh, playing consistently was Beal's New Year's resolution, it's off to a great start as he's played in each and every game in 2024. And his month of January numbers are looking quite great. He's averaging 22 points a contest with 53% shooting from the field and 44% from behind the line. Five rebounds, four assists, and one steal are his averages. Uh, Bruce, start us off here with Beal. Are you liking what you're seeing here in the new year? And could the Suns be on their way up? Absolutely. I mean, of all the guys we've talked about in this, you know, coming back, you know, he's the one who can be the true difference maker out of this group. Um, in his last two games, he's got 60 points. He's shooting 75% from downtown on a bunch of three-point attempts. He's not like three for four. He's like 12 for 16, I think, in his last two games from downtown. Those are some sick numbers. I mean, he's just on fire. Uh, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a difference maker for these guys. And the Suns could definitely rise up close to what we thought they were going to be in the preseason uh, if they could kind of get some good minutes from some of their other role players. But with a healthy combination of Kevin, Devin, and Brad, uh, Frank Vogel has three players capable of dropping 30 on or more on any given night. So, yes, I'm really happy to see him coming back strong. Will be. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is when the big three are on the court, they're absolutely dominating. The, it's a weird situation. They're dominating opponents in terms of the statistics. They're outscoring them by 15 points per 100 possessions when the when the big three are on the court together. Now, they've only been together for eight games, and they're only four and four. So go figure. You know, it all ends up you have to – it's all about wins and losses. But I think if they continue dominating like they have been, with the numbers, you know, their net efficiency overall when they're on the court, the wins will start to really pile up. And, yeah, they, they we didn't mention them in our top four in terms of the Western Conference because they're just not there yet. But by the end of the year, come playoff time, they absolutely could be there if they're all healthy. Yep, that's the big word there, health. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the fourth quarter and our final thoughts. And we're back with the start of the fourth quarter. We got a little three-man weave, just some quick uh, topics here to discuss. The first one being Dame time in Milwaukee, as we got to see that on Sunday. So, World B, I'll start with you. What was colder, the weather outside in the Midwest or that shot from Dame Lillard against the Sacramento Kings? Well, I'll tell you what, nothing beats the cold weather. I don't care how oh, good you come are. On. That, that was something else. That, that's been something else in the middle. I wish that on nobody. <laughs> that being said, that was one of the most fun games I've 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 had I've enjoyed watching all season in the NBA. It was really something you got to see the best of uh Darren Fox right up until the missed free throw, which you know meant instead of going in double overtime, we ended up being a game winner for Dane. But yeah, that that's his signature moment as a uh 
a buck right now, and what a better one to have. And Bruce, Giannis said this was definitely the biggest and best game-winning shot of his career with the Bucks so far. Obviously, he's been there a decade plus now. Would you have to agree with him after seeing that highlight? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, that's the guy you trade all these assets to get. I mean, look, the Bucks are 28 and 12, but you know, they've really been overshadowed by the Celtics, who have just been off to such a sizzling, you know, first half. Um, but see, that's the guy that makes the Bucks a championship contender. We know that Giannis is their best player, but Giannis isn't generally going to make shots like that you know he'll no. he'll play 47 minutes and 40 seconds but then in the last 20 seconds of the game when you need something you know you know you need game time yeah that's exactly the guy they traded for that shot right there yep and uh, another quick note here the lowly detroit pistons and lowly washington wizards made a small trade uh, as the Pistons shipped out Marvin Bagley III and Isaiah Livers, along with two future second-round picks to Washington in exchange for old man Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. So clearly not an exciting trade here, but I thought this was worth touching upon, fellas, because while Detroit did add some veteran shooting, why on earth are they giving up this draft capital to do so? I mean, at this point in the season, I mean, why are you taking away developmental minutes from some of your younger players? Would you agree, World B, or or do you think this somehow makes sense for the Pistons to, to give up seconds to get those two guys? I, I, I found it strange, I'll put it that way. I think you said it best. The lowly Pistons and the lowly <laughs> Wizards pulled off a lowly trade. There's just, yeah. just, you couldn't ask for a better trade than for these two teams to pull off than the one they just did. It really, uh, I'm not going to say it was a bad trade because I really don't know the inner workings of what the plan is going forward. Uh, I'll trust these guys to uh, to know what they're doing as far as what the future goes. But I was left confused. Bruce, I I I I like it for Washington. I mean, look, Marvin Bagley the third. We forget he was the number two overall pick in 2018. It was DeAndre Ayton then Marvin Bagley, and then guys like, you know, Luka Doncic and Trey Young were drafted after him. He averaged almost 15 as a rookie. He was all rookie first team. So, look, for Washington, they just need to add some talent on their team. And I think this was a really good move for them. I think, you know, Muscala and Gallinari, you know, no big loss in either case. No. Um, and picking up the two second-round picks – Look, Bagley's only signed for one more year. So he's only on the books next year for, I think, $12.5 million, which in today's NBA, you know, if you're averaging 13, 14 points a game, that's pretty good value. So I think maybe a fresh start for Bagley might, might you know, jumpstart his career. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I want the Wizards to make one more trade before the deadline, and that is to get D'Angelo Russell paired up in the backcourt with Jordan Poole because, boy, is that – is that must-watch TV for entertainment purposes? But uh, let's, let's talk about some positive news here for our final three-man weave segment, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are streaking themselves. They're winners of five straight. But I do, again, come with a question for you guys, and are we buying this hype around the Cavs during this winning streak? Those wins do come against the Bulls, Nets, Spurs, and they did beat the Wizards twice in that span. So, uh, Will B, I'll start with you. Are you buying this hype, or is this just uh, a friendly schedule? Uh, well, it's a friendly schedule, but everybody's got to play them. So, yeah. you know, you you, you got to be who you got to be. Uh, nobody's going to put them up with the level of the the Bucks and the Six uh, Celtics and the Sixers yet. But, you know, the good thing is if you're a Cavs fan, they're doing it the way we've known them to do it with defense. I mean, they're playing really good defense during this uh, during since the beginning of uh, December. I think they're the third best defense in the league. So that's their calling card. It was last year, and it's what it is this year. Yet, you know, the the, the Nets game was out in Paris, so, and they put a beat down on them right away. So you know, they they took that seriously, and uh, you know, I, I you take it for what it is. You're beating not great teams, but you're beating them, and. Maybe you get up to the fourth spot where you were last year. Bruce? You know, uh, during the five-game streak, you know, their defense has been more than outstanding. They're 
allowing just 99.8 points per game over that five-game streak. You know, that's unheard of in today's NBA. Teams don't, you know, have a five-game stretch where they're allowing their opponents under 100 points average. And, oh, by the way, Evan Mobley hasn't played in like six weeks, okay? And he's yeah. one of their better defensive, you know, big big presence in the paint. So um, the team has played pretty well without him, 11 and 6. So when he comes back, yes, I think they'll be – they'll. I don't know if I'm going to buy into the hype. After they host the Bucks on Wednesday, they have nine of their next 12 games on the road, including – Two more against the Bucks back to back in Milwaukee. So we're really going to, you know, find out what what this team's all about, you know, over the next say three weeks or so. But if they can get Mobley back in about two weeks, we could be looking at a solid playoff team come April. I'm I'm not saying I'm buying into the hype, but I mean I thought they were pretty good last year. They just laid an egg against the Knicks in the playoffs. And by the way, they real quick they didn't have. Mitchell for four games. They go three and one. They haven't had Garland for 13 games. They're 10 and three without him. And as Bruce mentioned, Mobley, they're winning without him. So, yeah, while they haven't beaten great teams, you're right. They haven't had their full allotment, their full roster together either. So, as Bruce mentioned, when they get everybody back, who the heck knows where this team can go? Yeah, no question. I think I'll buy into the hype on this one if they beat Milwaukee on Wednesday night. Not a key return to the court, but key for the Bucks. Jay Crowder will be back for that matchup on Wednesday, and uh, that will be a mo- very welcomed addition to that team that is looking for some reserve help there. So have to keep on an eye out on that game tomorrow night. Now, as for final thoughts, Bruce, I'll go ahead and let you tee us off. You know, Russell Westbrook didn't like it very much when a fan called him Westbrook because of some poor shooting back in November. He confronted the fan during the game and said he would not allow the family name to be disrespected. Fair enough. But when Rudy Gobert of the Timberwolves airballed two consecutive free throws on Sunday against the Clippers, Westbrook gleefully mocked Gobert on the bench in a video that went viral. Westbrook, who had an issue with a fan mocking him, was actually interacting with a fan to mock Gobert. Okay? And... So, you know, Russ was participating in this disrespect against a fellow pro, blah, blah, blah. And I think Westbrook deserves to be condemned for this. You know, he's going to the Hall of Fame. We know that. okay? but apparently he never learned the definition of the word hypocrisy. So I'll help you out a little bit here, Russ. When you consider it to be okay to engage in behavior that you criticize in others, that is hypocrisy. And that makes you a hypocrite. Well said there, Bruce. World B? Well, thank you, Ross. Yeah, I must admit, the NBA's Most Improved Player Award has always confused me. Granted, confusing me isn't the most difficult thing to happen in this world, but I wonder sometimes if this award simply is given to the player who was already good but who progressed enough to earn his first all-star selection. Some examples would be John Morant in 2022 and Julius Randle in 2021. This season appears right now as if Tyrese Maxey, arguably one of the 25 best players entering the season, is the favorite to take this award home. And while he's having a terrific season this season, we are talking about a player who averaged 20 points a game in 2022-23. And oh yeah, he's on his way to getting his first all-star selection this season. But if you're looking for a real candidate for the Most Improved Player Award, go check out Chicago's Kobe White. In his fifth NBA season and coming off a career low 9.7 points per game last season, White has nearly doubled his scoring average this season, and he's also on pace for career highs in rebounding, assists, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage. There actually appear to be a lot of worthy candidates right now at the halfway point of the season for this award. But when you look at the most worthy candidates, check out guys like Laurie Markkinen last season and White this season. Players who have completely turned their careers around. Well said there, too. Like those final thoughts from you guys here tonight. As for mine, it was no secret during our pre-game or our pre-draft shows that our my favorite rookie outside of Scoot Henderson was Gigi Jackson, who ended up falling in the draft as he was selected 45th overall by the Memphis Grizzlies. To refresh your memory, Jackson, who just turned 19 a month ago, is the youngest player in the NBA. And so far this year, 
has been having a solid G League season, averaging 20 points on 50% shooting, along with nearly 7.5 boards a game. This weekend, the Grizzlies finally unleashed Jackson, providing him 25-plus minutes a game, and he did not disappoint. On Saturday, he scored 20 points on 9-14 of 14 shooting, collecting 6 rebounds in 27 minutes of action in the Grizzlies' home loss to World B's Knicks. And then he followed that up on Monday in a home win over the Warriors with 23 points on 6-9 shooting to go along with another 6 rebounds. If you're still unsure if you're impressed or not, what if I told you Gigi Jackson joined LeBron James and Kevin Durant as the youngest NBA players with back-to-back 20-point games? So I ask you all now, if I didn't have your Gigi Jackson attention during the draft, do I have it now? And so I guess we'll find out what's going on with Gigi, but I am excited to see it. So you're saying he won't be going back to the Gigi League? I, yeah, well well put there. I, I sure hope not, especially with the state of this Memphis Grizzlies team. They could certainly use his scoring right about now with jaw out, Baines out. It's been a disastrous uh, year for the Grizzlies, but they just keep on fighting. So credit to them. I think they're doing a great job uh, continuing to fight and uh, stay competitive out West. So mm-hmm. with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.